Good morning, Stonebridge. I just want to thank you all for being here today. It's always just such a blessing to join you on Sunday morning and just to be here. Today we'll be in Acts. We'll be continuing our series in Acts, discussing You Will Be My Witness. So if you want to head over there in your Bibles, that would be great. Um, I hope the craziness of this school year hasn't been too overwhelming for many of you. I know Andrea and I, all through the summer, were just saying things like, you know, we just need the school year to start back up. We just need the consistency of a schedule. But now the school year is here, and it brings with it its own elements of craziness. I remember back to when I didn't have children, and I used to hear my aunts and uncles talking about the school year and about activities and about which way they needed to go on which days. You know, it's Tyler's choir concert is on this night, but CJ's play practice is on this night, but the play is actually on this day. And so you have to go this, this way on this day and this way on this day. And it was just all over the place. And they say, made it seem like it was so hard and so difficult. And I remember sitting there thinking, what is so hard about being a parent? All you have to do is drive around and drop your kids off. They're the ones that do all the hard stuff. Then I had two children of my own. This week alone, Andrea and I have had one night at home with each other. One night. I don't say that to boast. It's just a fact. From football to PTO to youth group to jobs to school, it feels as if we are running 100 miles an hour in different directions some days. Having children was a life-changing event that I could have never prepared for. And many of you feel the same way. I know many of you feel like you're running opposite directions every week. We have so many new babies here in the church this year, and that's so exciting. We have more to come. Next week, we have our child dedication with a lot of babies are going to be up here on this stage that have been born in this church in this past year. And that's such a blessing and it's so exciting. And we have more new babies coming in this year. And that's, again, just so exciting. But with that, no matter how many children they have, it changes their lives forever. Some of these babies are born to brand new parents and others are third or fourth time parents because clearly... You all are gluttons for punishment, those of you who have three, four, multiple children. But like I said, no matter what, children change our lives forever. This is not the only life-changing event that most of us will experience in our life. Some of you have or will soon experience the life-changing event of being an empty nester. Marriage is incredibly life-changing entering college, moving to a new town, new jobs, becoming a widow, all are huge life-changing events in our life. And as we open our Bibles today, we see one of the biggest life-changing events of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. Pentecost is the life-changing event that started Christianity as we know it. Today we have a fairly long passage I'll be preaching from, so we're going to break it up into three different sections. So follow along as I read the first section for you all, starting at verse 1. 
It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. So for the past two weeks, we have been talking about the power that would come, the promise of the Spirit coming, and then how the apostles were waiting for that promise to come. And here in chapter 2, we see the event, the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon these men. In the first verse, we see Luke talks about the day of Pentecost. And this is clearly important as we know that we've talked about how Luke is a doctor and how he's really focused on the details. And so the fact that he talks about it happening on the day of Pentecost was clearly important. And it's also Pentecost as, as a holiday is obviously important as well as that is the day that God chose to send his spirit. So if it's so important, we have to ask, what is Pentecost? Well, the word Pentecost means 50th. And, that, and, and it is one of the Jewish festivals that the Israelites were commanded to keep in the book of Leviticus. 50th is referencing the fact that Pentecost is celebrated exactly 50 days after the first Sunday of the Passover. Many of us can read about the Jewish festivals in the Old Testament and start to think that they have no importance to us nowadays. But they actually do have a lot of importance. So I had this graphic, Matt made this graphic up for me to help see it. We can see here the, the calendar of Jewish feasts that are we find in Leviticus 23. And it's actually an outline of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They coincide with each of them. And not just saying that they represent them, but they actually, these events actually happened on these days as well. So first, we see that the Passover, it pictures Jesus' death as the Lamb of God. The Passover, we know, is the celebration that the Jews had when they celebrated their deliverance from Egypt. We know back in, in Exodus 
that the Jews were in exile, were in um, were in bondage to slavery, and and Moses was there trying to get them free, and God was sending the plagues onto Egypt to try and get His people free, and the last plague being the the death of all the firstborns, and so. God told the Israelites to kill a lamb and to use the blood to paint on the doorpost the blood so that the Spirit of God could pass over the the Israelites' homes. That's why it's called the Passover. Convenient, right? Next, we see the Feast of First Fruits and how that pictures Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus being the first fruit of those who have been resurrected with many more to follow him. And lastly, we see Pentecost that was here in Acts chapter 2, and it pictures the formation of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, the Jews celebrated the giving of the law, But as Christians, we now celebrate it because of the giving of the Holy Spirit. We can look at this graphic and look at this map and and we can assume that God in his sovereign knowledge planned all of this out and wanted it to line up just the way it did. This is not just convenient or, a, or an accident that it lined up like this, God perfectly planned it out that these events would line up the way they did. But there's also a very practical reason for why the Spirit was sent on Pentecost. See, it was 10 days after Jesus ascended. For 10 days after he said, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And 10 days these men waited and waited for this to happen. Why would he make them wait so long? Well, on Pentecost, Jewish pilgrims from all over the known world would come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. We see that in verses 5 through 11, a list of all of the nations that were represented at the temple when the Spirit came. God knew that all of these people would be there, and that was how it instantly provide thousands of witnesses to this event. God wanted there to be as many witnesses as possible to this event, and Pentecost was the best opportunity for that. In verses 2 and 3, we see the Spirit coming. And the passage says things like that it sounded like a rushing wind and that it appeared as tongues of fire. That does not actually mean that the house was like blowing over from hurricane winds or there was fire dancing around the room. Luke is simply trying to communicate what the disciples experienced. Remember, he wasn't actually at this event. He wasn't with the disciples by this point. So later on, when he joined with them, he started writing down all this information. He's just hearing the stories from Peter and James and John. This is a supernatural event that these men experience, and they're trying to formulate into words what they experienced. And Luke is then trying to put it down in paper. So he's using metaphors and similes. It's, it appeared as, it, it sounded like. And then they all started speaking in tongues. We have talked fairly in-depthly 
in this church about the topic of tongues. Last year, we walked through 1 Corinthians and we covered a lot of topics of the gifts of the Spirit and a couple times of talking about what the tongues are in 1 Corinthians. So today, I'm only going to briefly cover it. But after you read this and hear this sermon, if you're still confused by what tongues are, you know, you've heard about it from this church that it's this way, or you've seen it in this form, and it doesn't seem to be the same here, and you're confused about how that all works together, bring it up at your connection group. All of your connection group leaders were here through the First Corinthians series, so they should all be well-versed and fully understand what is going on with tongues. They all know about it. So talk to them and they will handle it for us. You like how I do that? I just take a tough topic and I just punt it straight to the connection group leaders. <laughs> Seriously though, we, we also have all of our old sermons available online. So if you want to listen to the sermons on tongues from 1 Corinthians, email Matt or I, text us, just let us know and we can send you a link to those sermons so you can better understand what's going on. The two things that I want to briefly point out about the tongues in this passage is that, one, they are clearly other countries' languages. I know some of you may have heard the idea of tongues being this angelic language that none, no one really understands. That's not what it is here. It is clearly other countries' languages. We can see that as it has this list of all the countries that were represented that could clearly understand. Why would God choose to use this sign of tongues? Well, it was really shocking for the people to hear these rural, uneducated people speaking in all these different languages. It drew people into this event. More and more, when they see these people and they hear them speaking their language, it draws them in. But the second thing I want to point out is that we can clearly see the purpose of God giving this gift of tongues. At the end of verse 11, it says, We hear them telling in our own tongues, our own languages, the mighty works of God. That was why God, wanted, God gave this gift. He wanted to make sure that everyone that was there could understand the mighty works of God. He didn't want to have to deal with somebody being confused because it wasn't in their language. He wanted everyone to know instantly. In verse 12 through 13, we can see the people's response to the apostles speaking in all of these different languages. Two very different reactions to the Spirit coming it says that all were amazed, but some were mocking. It were, they were disgusted by what was going on. The ones who were disgusted even went on to say that the apostles were drunk. That's what it means when it says that they are filled with new wine. It means that they must be drunk. Why would they think that? Why would they instantly jump to these men must be drunk? Well, we have to, again, understand what is going on here. These men who could only speak in one or maybe two languages just a few minutes ago are now speaking in 16 different languages. But just because the Egyptian can now understand the apostle who's speaking Egyptian, others do not understand that language, and they may not even know that it is a language. Not everyone that was represented could understand everyone's languages and even knew what language it was. 
I think about if I walked in here and started preaching in Spanish, some of you would understand exactly what I was saying. Most of you would at least know that it was Spanish. That is a discernible language to most Americans. We all can at least know that it is Spanish that is being spoken. But if I started speaking in Sanskrit, would anyone even recognize that as a language? Probably not. It is a 3,000-year-old dead Indian language. If I started speaking in Sanskrit, everyone would just be like, what in the world? Joey's gone crazy. He's lost his mind. Something is going on, right? Just because all of these different languages were present at Pentecost, they didn't all know or understand each other's languages. Just because the Egyptian could understand doesn't mean that he knew the Elamites' language. So the natural response when they didn't understand what the people were saying was to say, well, clearly they're just drunk. What is our normal reaction to seemingly miraculous events? Are we amazed or are we immediately skeptical? I have witnessed some pretty miraculous things happen in my life. And I'm usually fairly skeptical in the midst of it. It is okay to be discerning about miracles and supernatural events, but not to the point that we immediately discredit everything. You know, when we hear about miracles going on in the world around us, or even at the church down the road, it's okay to say, okay, I need to make sure that what's going on is true. You know, we need, how are we discerning? Well, we, we hear about these miracles and we come back to our Bible and we understand how those miracles line up with the truth of God's word. We discern them, but we do not instantly just say, there's no way that could be happening. God would never do something like that. Well, if he did it before, why couldn't he do it now? I want you all to hear that. Yes, we need to be discerning of miraculous events but not if we are suppressing the Spirit. As we, step, as we look at our next section of the passage for today, we see Peter's sermon. The Apostle Peter stepping up and giving an incredible sermon. Follow along again as I read uh, our longest section for today, starting at verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Okay, let's stop right there for a second. I love that comment from Peter. He's like, clearly they're not drunk. It's too early. Third hour of the day is like Jewish terminology for like nine o'clock in the morning. So he's saying like, there's no way they can be drunk. It's way too early. (laughs) Obviously, Peter has never been to the tailgating lot over at ISU on a Saturday morning before a football game, right? (laughs) Or even Iowa too, let's be honest. All right. So seriously, getting back in, starting at verse 16 now again. It says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before, of the, day, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves may are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's intense, isn't it? Here we see the first Christian sermon, the first church aged sermon and it's incredible peter stands up and he starts preaching in the midst of jewish leaders and pilgrims from other countries his friends and possibly his family he's just preaching to them and if we only jump into the story of peter here in the book of acts we could get the impression that he is like one of the greatest leaders in the church at this time Right? If we were stranded on a desert island and all we had was the book of Acts, what would our impression of Peter be? Last week we saw him step up and lead the disciples to replace Judas. He showed incredible leadership abilities in the midst of a confusing time. 
Then here in these passages, we see this amazingly eloquent preacher. He's cross-referencing Old Testament prophecies and applying to them what is currently going on. He's explaining scripture and he's speaking directly to his audience. We are going to continue to see Peter do incredible things in the book of Acts. But let's not forget who this Peter is. Peter was a loser at times. Back in the Gospels, back in Matthew 26, 69 through 75, it tells us the story of Peter's denial. He denies even knowing Jesus three times. When he is confronted by a little servant girl, he denies Jesus. To a little girl! It's not like the Roman guards were marching through Israel with swords drawn, hunting down the disciples of Christ. It was a little servant girl. And Peter cowardly denies Jesus. Over and over again in the gospel, Peter says dumb things. He tries to shoo away a bunch of children from Jesus, saying that children have no place by the Savior, by the Lord. He cuts off some guy's ear, He runs away and hides and denies even knowing Jesus. And after Jesus is killed, Peter runs back to his old job of being a fisherman. Peter was a poor, uneducated, cowardly, smelly fisherman. That's who he was. But here in our passage, he is preaching, witnessing, leading Peter is simply the vessel that the Spirit is using to reach these people. For those of you who sit here and say, I could never do this. You read this passage, you're like, I could never do that. Or God could never use me in that way. You're right. You could never do this. And neither could I. I know I've probably told this before, but I'm the guy who failed speech class three times in college. Not because I couldn't give a speech or wasn't good at it. Every single time it came time to give the speech, I would just quit going to class. Three times. I was too scared to stand in front of ten peers and give a speech that I would just quit going to class. Turns out you can't pass a class if you don't do speeches in speech class. Let that just be a little knowledge for you college kids and high school kids. You can't pass if you don't actually go to class. I don't stand up here every week because I'm this incredible communicator or that I was always this incredible communicator. It's only through the submission and empowerment of the Holy Spirit that I am able to stand up here at all. This is exactly who Peter was also. He was not qualified for this job. He was simply willing. Are you willing to let God use you? To let the Spirit empower you? Sometimes God will take our gifts and our talents and he will increase them for his glory. I think about all of our teachers and associates that we have attending Stonebridge and how God uses them in incredible ways in their schools, but also here leading and teaching our D6 ministry. God is using those talents and he's increasing them. I think about our worship team. 
all their musical talents, singing and playing instruments. And God uses those gifts for his glory. He's increasing them through the empowerment of the Spirit. Sometimes God does that. He takes our talents and he just increases them. Other times, though, God will empower us to do something completely outside of our comfort zone, something that we would say, I could never do that. God empowers us to do it. It is not about us. The the Spirit empowers us all to do incredible things, whether it's something that you already have a talent for or it's something completely outside of your comfort zone. It is incredible when the Spirit empowers and moves that way. Now, even though this is the longest section from our passage today, I'm going to spend the least amount of time. I'm not going to go verse by verse and explain what's going on here. Simply put, Peter is preaching the Bible. That's what this sermon is. He's preaching the Bible. He's quoting Old Testament prophecies and explaining the cultural relevance and meaning for the people listening. That's what we do here at Stonebridge. He is explaining the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit and how all of those were prophecies from years ago. And he's explaining to him how the Messiah that Israel had been waiting for since the beginning of humanity had come. And they missed it. He says, this is what you've been waiting for for thousands of years and you missed it. The only verse that I really want to dig into in Peter's sermon is in verse 23. It says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. At first glance, this can kind of seem a little confusing. Well, was it God or or men who killed Jesus? The answer is yes. Both. Peter is saying, yes, God allowed his son to be crucified. Jesus willingly poured himself out for all of mankind. But you people are the ones who actually killed him. You killed the Messiah. That's what Peter says to them in here. Those are harsh words for these people to hear. And as we look to the last few verses for today, we will see the reaction of the listeners to what they heard in Peter's sermon. Follow along one more time as I start, as I read, starting at verse 37, we see their reaction. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what is their response? It says they're cut to the heart. They're repentant. 
The topic of repentance is very important for us in the church, but I feel that it's a topic that we don't talk about a lot. We talk about grace, and we talk about forgiveness of sins, but we don't actually talk about repentance a lot. Repentance is turning away from sin, turning away from disobedience, turning away from rebellion, and turning back to God. Repentance means a change of mind or a feeling of remorse or regret for past conduct. True repentance is godly sorrow for sin, turning from our sins and going the opposite direction. I have often stood up here and talked about my shortcomings and my current struggles. Repentance, though, is not me merely standing up here saying, well, you all just need to accept me for who I am. I'm angry, I'm bitter, and I'm hateful, but that's just who I am. Y'all just need to deal with me. That is not repentance. Within the church, we should not be okay with sin. Whether it is small or large, all sin grieves the spirit that is dwelling inside of us. Repentance and sorrow for our sins is a true sign of salvation. Do you want to know if you are truly saved? The answer is, are you actually repentant? Have you turned from those sins in your life? Now, this does not mean we have to be perfect. It is not about perfection, but it does mean that we need to be moving in the correct direction. It means that when someone comes to us and tells us that they see something in our lives that is not honoring to God, when they come to us and say, you know, I I saw how you handled this interaction with this person, and I, I just don't think that's the way a Christian should be acting. When someone comes to us like that, we need to be willing to cut off our hand or pluck out our own eye. Those are the words of Jesus in regards to how to deal with sin and temptation in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to go to heaven dismembered than to go to hell with all of your body. Now, clearly, I am not standing up here with a pirate patch and a hook for a hand, so I'm not saying that this should be taken literally. But it is also not looking at our sins and just saying, that's who I am. We need to be so serious about turning from our sins that we are willing to cut things, cut elements out of our lives if it leads to sin. That is part of my story. When I first became a follower of Jesus, I was drinking and partying almost every night of the week. And I had a large group of friends that I was hanging out with. But when I gave my life to Christ, I knew that my drinking and partying was not honoring to Christ. The life I was living was not honoring to Christ. So I gave that all up. I turned from it including dozens of friends that I had had for years. Now, I know that many of them probably thought that I thought I was better than them now or that I was looking down on them for their choices. I may not have agreed with the lifestyle that they were living, but I in no way thought I was better than them. 
Actually, I knew the wickedness of my own heart and the temptation that I would feel. I knew that I couldn't even handle being around these people or I would give in to the temptation and the wickedness of my own heart. So I had to turn from that life and attempt to live a life more pleasing to my Savior. I didn't give up that life because some pastor told me I had to. I didn't give up that life because my wife made me feel bad for what I was doing. I repented of my sins and because of the incredible gift of salvation that I had received, I wanted to live my life for Jesus. Again, repentance is not perfection. We will never be good enough, moral enough, or holy enough on this side of heaven. It's not about cleaning up our lives first. Yeah, someday I'll clean up my life and then I'll start following Jesus and I'll come to church. That's not what it's about at all. Repentance is not a destination. It's not like, yeah, when I finally get repentant, that's when I'll be okay. No, it is not the destination. It is the pathway. It is about moving in the right direction, and that direction is towards living more like Christ did. Our lives should look very different after we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and it is also not about anything that we do. We do not do anything to clean up our own life. Yes, we may take ourselves out of certain situations that cause us to be tempted but it is all about grace and the salvation that God has poured out on us it is all about the cross and the work that Jesus has done that is exactly what happened to the people who heard Peter's message verse 37 says that they were cut to the heart other translations say that they are pierced the Greek word for pierced means stab and it means something sudden and unexpected. In grief, remorse, and intense spiritual conviction, Peter's listeners were stunned that they had killed their Messiah. And Peter tells them that they need to repent of their sins and be baptized. Now that verse is one that is actually misinterpreted to say that baptism saves us. This is the verse where some churches use and say that we need to be baptized in order to receive salvation. That's not actually what it means. Uh, a better interpretation is baptized because of the forgiveness of sins. You know, it's like if I was outside playing with my kids this past week and I said, I am going inside, for it is hot outside. We don't really talk like that anymore. It's just a different language or different type of communicating. I'm not saying I'm going to go inside to make it hot inside or to make it hot outside. I'm simply saying I'm going inside because it's hot out here and I don't want to be out here anymore. That's what Peter is saying. He's simply saying that we need to be baptized in response for the sins and because of the salvation that we have received. Now, as we think about the listener's response, I want you to think about your response to Peter's words. His words are not simply spoken in a vacuum 2,000 years ago to the listeners in this passage. His words transcend time and are speaking 
to us. If you are sitting here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these words should cut you to the heart as well. Let the whole house of Stonebridge therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. One of my favorite songs is Forgiven by David Crowder. In that song, he says, I'm the one who held the nail. It was cold between my fingertips. I've hidden in the garden. I've denied you with my very lips. God, I fall down to my knees with a hammer in my hand. You look at me, arms open, forgiven. Child, there is freedom from all of it. Say goodbye to every sin. You are forgiven. If you are sitting here today and you have never heard that, hear it now. Yes, your sins are responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. You are responsible for the death of Jesus, and I am responsible for the death of Jesus. It was for my sins and your sins that he died. But your sins can be forgiven. You simply have to cry out to God, telling him that you realize that you have sinned and that you cannot change on your own. You can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. Ask him to be the Lord of your life and today repent of the sins of your past. Turn from those mistakes that you have made and start moving towards the Savior a little bit more day by day. You can have forgiveness today. Cry out to him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this work. I thank you for I thank you for repentance that every single day we can turn more and more from our sins and more and more towards you. God help every one of us in here to understand this idea of repentance. Like I said, it is not a destination. None of us are truly repentant. Every single day we need to take one more step towards you, Lord. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for everything you have given us. Help us to hear this message and just apply it to our life. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.